Uh, as you guys are taking a seat, would you grab a copy of God's Word? Uh, if you brought your own, if you need to grab one uh, sitting near where you're sitting, if you're using a mobile device, great. We're in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be at in just a moment. And as you guys are uh, finding your spot there, uh, I get the joy of presenting a, a couple people before you this morning uh, as deacon candidates. Uh, now for us in the New Testament church and how we apply it here at Restoration Church, we have elders and deacons. Uh, those are the two offices within the New Testament church that we see in scripture. Uh, and this morning I get to present two uh, deacon candidates to John Wheeler uh, and Drew Papashak. So Drew, if you want to come up here, no, nobody wants to turn around and look at you. They want to see you up here. We discovered this week that Drew is off the grid. So if you've never seen a picture of Drew, this is what he looks like. Here he is. John is on the grid. You can find pictures of him anyway. Um, <clears throat> so for the next three weeks as part of the process, these two guys are going to be available to you uh, to answer any questions that you have for them. Ask questions about who they are personally, about their family, theological positions, why they want to serve in the office of deacon. Uh, all of those things over the next three weeks. So uh, I will pray over you guys, uh, and then these guys will be available to you uh, after the service starting today. Father God, thanks for all that you're doing in the life of our church. Um, God, thank you for these two men that are standing here this morning. Um, God, just willing to serve as you've called them to. Um, God, to sacrifice for this flock. Um, God, over these next few weeks, I pray that... Uh, that the members of this flock would see that, God, that they would hear that uh, from John and from Drew as they uh, seek to engage them in conversation and asking questions, God. And we just pray that you would be glorified in the midst of all of this. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be at today. We're going to finish chapter 18 uh, and look at the first few verses of chapter 19. I want you to, to hold that spot there, uh, and then I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is actually going to serve as our introduction into uh, what we're talking about today, which is criticism. Everybody loves criticism, right? Nobody likes to receive it, everybody likes to give it. Here's why. Matthew 7 says this, Verse 1, everybody's favorite Bible verse. Judge not. And that's where we stop. But it says this. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. See, we don't like people to judge us, but we want to judge them. Right? But the text tells us, that when we pronounce judgment, that same measure will be given back to us. Verse 3 says this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. <clears throat> now I think we can we can know from experience what it feels like to have a speck in our eye, right? 
None of us have legitimately had a log in our eye. But maybe you have. But metaphorically, if there is a log in your eye, you're not going to be able to see clearly to take a speck, something much smaller, out of someone else's eye, right? And so Jesus is saying, listen, you need to take care of the sin that's in your own life first before you start trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye. And we're familiar with Matthew 7, don't judge me, right? That's how the culture lays it out. But, and, and I love that, that Brad shared this earlier during communion time, that we're, we're meant to be in community together, right? We're meant to be in community together, which means that as followers of Jesus, we're to hold each other accountable, right? That we are to offer accountability to others and receive accountability ourselves. And that's what we see in the text this morning. Look with me at Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Can you just for a moment, can you just circle the word boldly? We're going to come back to that in a moment. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures, that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we dig into this text this morning, God, would you help us to see what it is we need to see this morning? God, that we would see the need for accountability in our lives. God, that we would receive that accountability. God, that we would... Dig into the scriptures, God, to rightly understand them, that we wouldn't leave it short, that we would understand all that the scriptures are saying, all that the gospel means in our everyday lives. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. There's two things that I want us to understand this morning in this text. The first is this, that criticism comes in different ways, right? Criticism comes in different ways. Now, it I titled this sermon Constructive Criticism, okay? Spoiler alert, constructive criticism is the right criticism, okay? We're not just talking about criticism in general, all right? Constructive criticism is the right criticism. But criticism does come in different ways, right? There's critical criticism and there's constructive, right? Most of us have experienced critical criticism at some point in our life. Agree? Yes? Most of us have probably given critical criticism to other people. Here's here's what I want us to understand the difference here, okay? Critical criticism and constructive criticism. Critical is coming from a place of trying to shame someone else for being wrong. Constructive criticism 
is coming from a place of love, seeking for people to understand rightly and live rightly. Okay? We're not looking just to tear people down. We're looking to construct them in a way that leads them to understand more deeply, more passionately, to live more correctly. But here's what we need to understand. Whether it's critical or constructive, we need to be able to sift through all criticism. Okay? We need to be able to sift through all criticism to see if there is any truth. Because if somebody gives us critical criticism and we just ignore it because they approached it wrong at the wrong time in the wrong way, we just dismiss it. But what if there's truth in it, right? We've all said the right thing in the wrong way, yes? We've all said the right thing at the wrong time. Agreed? Okay. Can, can, I just, can I just share this with you? <clears throat> there is, most, most of us in this, in this room, okay, most of us in this room, those that are serving in kids this morning, don't see all the blood, sweat, tears, prayers that go into what happens on Sunday morning. Most of us just show up and experience this. Yes? Right? So... Even if you have a right, constructive critique, right after service is not the right time to give it. Okay? If you have a critique, let me get personal here. Okay? If you have a critique about something that I've done, said, or you think that I've done or said, right before I get up here to preach is not the right time to do it. I also don't appreciate emails. If you have critique, here's what we're going to see in the text. There is a right way and a right time to offer that. Look at verse 26. 24 and 25, we're introduced to this guy named Apollos, right? We know he's a Jew. We know he's native of Alexandria. And he's in the city of Ephesus, okay? The scriptures describe him as an eloquent man who's competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So he's been discipled in the scriptures in the way of following Jesus. And he's fervent in spirit and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then Luke adds this at the end. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. Underline that. They took him aside. Priscilla and Aquila noticed that Apollos, in his teaching, was leaving it short. They didn't stand up while he was teaching and say, hey, you missed something. They didn't come up to him right after the service in front of multiple people and say, hey, idiot, you messed up. Right? What did they do? They took him aside. They had a private conversation with him. Do we understand that? There's a right place and a right time to offer criticism. 
Priscilla and Quilla assessed that in this particular situation with Apollos, the right thing to do was to pull him aside, to not condemn him for what he has been teaching, but they explained to him the way of God more accurately. You see, Luke gives us this detail that Apollos only knew the baptism of John. Okay, So if you know anything about what is been transpiring, John the Baptist came before Jesus. John the Baptist is the forerunner, right? He comes out of the wilderness, okay, dressed in camel hair, got honey and locusts hanging out in his beard because that's all he's been eating. He's a nasty-looking individual. And he comes out of the wilderness saying, hey, you need to repent of your sins. And you need to be baptized. And he just baptizes them in water. But what he says is, there's someone coming after me, right? There's someone coming after me who I'm not even fit to bend down and lace up his shoes. And then when Jesus steps onto the scene, while John is baptizing in the river, he points out and says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who's to come. He's here. So when you read in the text that these individuals only know of the baptism of John, they don't know that Jesus has come. Maybe some of them know that he's come, but they don't know that he's died. Maybe some know that he's died, but they don't know that he's risen from the grave, right? Maybe some get to that point, but they don't know that he's ascended to heaven and he's sitting at the the right hand of the Father, okay? Many... Maybe no even to that point, but they don't know that the Holy Spirit has come. And that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead now lives amongst those who are following Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila say to Apollos, hey, you only know the baptism of John, but let let me share this with you. Jesus has come. He's died. He's been raised, he's ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit, the Helper, has come. And the Helper is with us now. Here's what's so interesting. This particular topic of the baptism of John and the Holy Spirit coming is the same thing. It's the same topic that we encounter in Chapter 19, look at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, okay, so Apollos has been in Ephesus, he's now moved on to Corinth, right, that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? Now listen, Paul has come to Ephesus. That's where Apollos was, right? But how did Priscilla and Aquila critique Apollos? They pulled him off to the side, right? They had a private conversation with him, and now he's moved on to Corinth. So now when Paul comes to Ephesus, he encounters all of these disciples and said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. 
And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, circle that word stubborn. Now if you're really bold, write your name next to the word stubborn. And continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. With him. Reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, Priscilla and Aquila have encountered Apollos. They've taken him aside and critiqued him privately, right? Paul comes to Ephesus. He encounters the disciples and critiques them publicly. It says there's 12 of them in all, and he's having a conversation with them. Hey, well, if you haven't heard that the Holy Spirit has come, then what baptism have you been baptized in? Well, we've only been baptized into the baptism of John. So he's not just having a private conversation with an individual, right? He's having a group discussion with them about this particular thing. Here's what I want us to understand about this, okay? If we so choose... To have a public conversation with someone, critiquing them about things that they're teaching or believing. Let's make sure that it's a doctrinal issue and not a personal preference issue. Okay? Right? Let's make sure it's a doctrinal issue about who Jesus is and not about what you wear to church on Sundays. Okay? Can we do that? Right? Can we have a... A doctrinal discussion about the Word of God actually says not about the translation that we use. Okay, oftentimes we have these public conversations. Okay, I know, I know this is none of us in this room. Some of us, our public conversations are behind keyboards, right, in the Facebook comments. So you guys don't see me post a lot, but I read all the comments. That's not the way to critique someone. Right? That's not the way to have a helpful discussion. Listen, if we are constructive, constructively critiquing someone, it should be from a place of love, seeking that they understand more deeply and more passionately. Right? Not trying to prove them wrong and shame them. Here's why I say all of that. Let me sum it up with this take-home truth. Receiving criticism can be difficult, but is necessary for spiritual growth. See, up to this point, we've just talked about giving the critique. And some of us are like, we take the posture like, yeah, I love correcting people, right? Some, some of us, like, that's, that's why I went into the profession that I'm in, because I like telling people what to do. I like telling them when they're wrong. But it's both, right? It's Giving critique and receiving critique and receiving criticism, I know it can be difficult, right? None of us like to be told that we've done something wrong. Agreed? 
but it's necessary for our spiritual growth. Look at verse 27. Chapter 18, verse 27. Okay, Priscilla and Aquila have pulled Apollos off to the side and explained to him the way of God more accurately. In verse 27. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So not only did they critique him, but he received the critique in so much of a way that they would say, hey, we'll write on your behalf. Like we sense that the Lord is calling you to go over there and we'll affirm that and we're going to write on your behalf that the disciples over there would receive you when you get there, right? Do you think that they would have written on Apollos' behalf if he had said, hey guys, thanks for the critique, but you guys are wrong. You guys are jerks. Do you think they would have wrote on his behalf and said, hey, receive him when he gets here, right? Here's why I point that out. Go back to chapter 18, verse 26. You remember I had you circle the word boldly, okay? Luke describes Apollos as... An eloquent, and comp- an eloquent man competent in the scriptures, right? He's been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he's fervent in his spirit, and he's teaching concerning Jesus. And in verse 26, he's in the synagogue, and he's speaking boldly. Here's the second thing I want us to understand. Criticism comes from different people. Apollos is known as this eloquent person. He's competent. He knows what he's talking about, right? But he's leaving it short. So Priscilla and Aquila come to Apollos and they pull him aside. Say, listen, hey, we really appreciate the passion that you're teaching. Like we, we hear you articulating things well. But we sense that you're leaving it short and there's, there's a little bit more that you need to share. Now listen, Apollos has been speaking boldly. Right? Listen to me. Speaking boldly on behalf of Jesus does not give you an excuse to be a jerk. Okay? It doesn't give you an excuse to be a jerk just because you know what you're talking about and you're proclaiming it boldly and no one else is, right? And you just, you kind of raise your voice and you just talk louder, right? Like, I don't actually know all the things I'm talking about, but if I just raise my volume, people will know that I'm serious about it, right? Anybody ever heard of a guy named Mark Driscoll? That was his preaching philosophy. And behind closed doors, he was a jerk. And sometimes he was a jerk from the platform. Speaking boldly about things that you know about doesn't give you an excuse to be a jerk. Just because you know and understand things about the scripture and the person that you're talking to doesn't, doesn't mean that you're better than they are, right? It does mean, however, that you've been walking with Jesus a little bit longer than they have and you have a responsibility to bring them alongside and make disciples of them. It does mean that, but it doesn't mean publicly criticizing them and shaming them. Sometimes we just need to pull them aside and give them critique. Here's another interesting thing that happens here. Is that Priscilla and Aquila are the ones who pull Apollos off to the side. 
is a husband and a wife. Priscilla is a woman in the first century pulling an eloquent man, someone who's competent, someone who's been trained in the instruction of the Lord, who's teaching in the synagogue, and this woman says, hey, I need to teach you something. Now, Paulus could have said, hey, you're a woman. I don't have to listen to anything you say. And some of us in today's culture do the exact same thing. We need to be able to receive criticism, even if it's coming to us, listen, even if it's coming in a critical way, we need to receive it, put it in a flour sifter, sift it out, and figure out if there's truth in what's being said. Okay? A husband and a wife give critique to Apollos. The Apostle Paul is the one that critiques the disciples. Right? He gives critique around the same topic, but he's doing it publicly. Right? It's, he's, he's reasoning with him. Verse 8 tells us that after this has happened, right, that he's entered the synagogue and for the next three months he speaks boldly and he's reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. You notice that he's not persuading them to teach in the way that he teaches? You notice that he's not persuading them to believe all the nuanced things that he believes? He's not persuading them about the style of music that they should be listening to or playing. What does it say? He's reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Listen, we need to be kingdom people first who seek the kingdom of God. That's why we want people to know Jesus, because in following Jesus, you get to be a part of the kingdom of God. So let me ask us this question. What do we do with criticism? When people come to us and criticize us, what do we do with it? Do we reject it and just walk away? Do we receive it, sift through it? Think about the way that you give criticism. Do you give it in a critical way or a constructive way? Are you coming with a posture of wanting the individual or the group to know and understand the kingdom of God better? Or are you just trying to prove them wrong? Receiving criticism can be difficult but is necessary for spiritual growth. Here's how I know that. Because if we take a posture of receiving critique from people so that we can grow, it's going to help us grow in Christ-likeness. Because Christ was humble, right? If we're able to take that posture of humility, receive constructive critique from other believers, right? Sift through that, understand, how, okay, yeah, maybe I am leaving that short. Maybe I don't understand that completely. It's going to sharpen us in our faith. It's going to make us look more like Christ because we're taking a humble posture. 
How do we receive criticism? How do we offer criticism? I, I want us to think about this because I, I think all of us can probably come to a place of thinking about a time that we have been critiqued or given critique privately and publicly, right? Some of us have given critique privately and we've received it privately. Some of us have given critique publicly and received it publicly. And we can sift through all the ways that we felt about those things that were happening, right? But what did we do with it? What did we do with it when we heard it? Did we want to grow in our faith? Did we want to go back to the scriptures and dig in? Here's what's so interesting about the way that this particular text ends. Verse 8, Paul has encountered this group of disciples. He shared with them about John's baptism of repentance, that he was telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Jesus has come. He's died. He's been risen. He's ascended. He sent the helper. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul ran away. Is that what happened? That's not what happened. Paul took those 12... And he took him into the synagogue for the next three months and he continued to reason and persuade the Jews about the kingdom of God. And then after three months he had received so much critique that he just left and he was done. Is that what it says? No, he did what? He stayed for two years. Listen, sometimes we like to drop these critical bombs and then just walk away. Like, hey, I hope you figure that out. But what would it look like if we actually offered constructive criticism to brothers and sisters and then sat with them and helped them grow? It would almost be like that's what Jesus commanded us to do to go and make disciples, right? That we're to do it together in community. And listen, there's something beautiful about being in a spiritual community together when you can go to someone and say, hey, I think you're missing the mark on this. But let, let me show you what I'm talking about. Hey, I think, I think you need to consider the way that you're walking this path. But let me show you what the scriptures say and why I think you need to consider this, right? We need to go further and stop just dropping the criticism bombs. We need to offer it constructively, and then we need to walk with people. 